Everyone doing good tonight? Y'all doing good tonight? Let's give the Lord some praise tonight. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, um, I know some people of Texas said they're going to be a little late, but we're going to go ahead and get started to honor everyone's time. Uh, I'm excited tonight. We have uh, our guest, Rabbi uh, Larry Greenhouse, in the house tonight. Amen. Um, teaching on the seven feasts and I think a little, so, so some more stuff like that. Um, but it's going to be awesome teaching. Uh, again, one reason um, we're doing this is because in really walking into a people who are set apart, we've really got to understand um, the things that Jesus has called us to recognize and, and, and not so much all the things that the church has adopted from the world to recognize things um, of Jesus. Amen. And um, <clears throat> there's no better way to do that instead of just cutting something off. We've got to bring knowledge to it. And instead of me trying to do it, um, we figured, hey, let's bring in an expert. Amen. <laughs> um, and uh, we, everyone enjoyed it last week. I got tons of people saying how great it was. So, um, and one thing I forgot to do last week was open up in prayer. And no one said anything, so maybe you didn't notice because there was just such an anointing on Rabbi Larry. But we're going to open up in prayer tonight, and um, we're going to have a good time. So, uh, Lord, we just thank you that we can come together um, tonight just to dive into the truth that you've given us, Lord. And I pray that we can leave people with a better understanding of what you have given us to honor you and celebrate not just the prophetic um, words uh, of the announcement of of, of the, the Messiah, Lord, but the fulfillment that you are here and you are alive and you are with us. God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, let's all stand and honor Rabbi Larry as he comes up and teach tonight. Come on, let's, let's honor him. Come on. Thank you. Well, thank you, guys. It really is an honor to be back uh, for a second week in a row. Um, I guess I did okay. You didn't... St- you didn't lock the doors after me, so I really do appreciate it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go over the seven feasts, as you know. You know and, and as um, Pastor said, it's really important because it really is recognizing what Jesus recognized. These are the, the, this is the calendar that he used. These are the feasts that he used. So what we're going to do is we've got a handout that's going out now. And when you have it, I want you to turn to the back first. So on the back is an outline of the seven prophetic feasts of the Lord. Because each one of the feasts that he has represents something that either has already happened or is going to happen. Thus the word prophetic in front of it. So real quickly, let's just go through what the seven, and then we're going to go into each one of them, seeing what it says in the Old Covenant about it, and then seeing a little bit about what it says in the New Covenant as well. Because as I always say, at least I always say it, there's nothing new in the New. There's nothing new in the New Covenant. Even, even Scripture says there's nothing new under the sun that includes everything that inclu- that's happened or is going to happen in the new covenant. Everything has been shown to us through scripture. Everything that has already happened or is going to happen. That doesn't mean that I'm the kind of guy who every time something happens in history or you know, in world affairs, I open up the book and I start looking for it. But overall, 
everything that has happened is going to ha- is is already in scripture and we're going to see it so let's look over the seven feasts of the lord because the first one is the one we did last week the one that we're currently we actually just got past and that's passover passover in a nutshell is the sacrifice of the lamb for our salvation and the fulfillment of that is messiah yeshua jesus We come into the feasts of the unleavened bread, deliverance from Egypt, the deliverance from sin. First fruits is the first harvest. Now, traditionally, it was uh, uh, an agricultural holiday. First fruits, first harvest was barley. And we see that uh, prophetically as the Messiah being risen. Next is Shavuot. That's the second harvest in, the, in an agricultural society, and that would have been the wheat. And we see that as being the Ruach being given, the Spirit being given. Rosh Hashanah, the new year, and that's when Israel will be regathered again. And in fact, we speak as Israel because I speak as a, as a rabbi who's used to speaking towards you know, a Messianic uh, Jewish congregation. So I, so I really so when I say Israel, what I really want to say is all those people who consider themselves the Lord's people. So if you've joined in with Israel by joining and following His words, I consider you to be part of Israel. After that is where am I down to? Young Kippur atonement when Yeshua or Jesus returns to us. For those who believe, and then Sukkot is Yeshua, Jesus living with us, supping with us. So those are the seven real quickly. I like to have that as a um, kind of a synopsis that you'll be able to refer to every once in a while. So let's go to the first page. We've got about an hour and, what do we got, about an hour and 15 minutes, about there. So I really do hope to open it up to conversation for each one of the feasts. It's going to be a little tight, but hey, if we have to stay here till midnight, we'll stay here till midnight. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So this is actually um, one of my discipleship lessons that I use uh, in our congregation, there's like seven or eight different modules, and this is one of them. So in this lesson, you review the Lord's feasts. The holidays covered here are not meant to be a comprehensive list, although they do cover all seven of the prophetic feasts, but a base to grow from. Now, uh, the way this is going to work is there is a lot of scripture here, which is really why there's a handout. But what we're going to do is... My voice will just get tired if I have to read all the scripture. So what we're going to do is how many brought their scriptures with them? Electronic or otherwise? Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to hand out scripture. We're going to assign scripture so that we can get through it quickly. I know your your desire is that you're going to want to flip to each one of them as we're reading it. But in order to get through it all, what I'm going to ask is... For one person to read it out, and everyone else is just going to have to listen. If you can find it real quick, that's great. But So the first scripture is going to be Colossians 2.1. My, my particular style is start on one end of the row 
and just go across. There is no shame in saying I would rather not read out loud. That's okay. You can say skip. You can give me a little uh-uh, not me. It doesn't matter, but that's the way that I work. Okay, so we're going to start here. And, and I'm sorry I don't know anyone's names. So I'm just pointing and going, uh-huh. All right. So uh, Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Amen. Thank you. So we read this last week as well. Why do we, either being Jewish or Gentile, why do we? Uh, why is it important to have the knowledge of the feasts? Because this is what Messiah. This is what Adonai. This is what the Lord set up as guideposts for us, indicators of what's going to happen, so that we can see it, so that we can say, "Oh." These have already happened. We know he predicted them. He prophesied about them. And therefore, we can trust him in knowing that the rest is going to happen as well. It also says because it is the reality of who Messiah is. And that's really what it all comes down to, pointing to us so that we can believe Messiah, so we can believe the word of, about Jesus and spread it throughout the world. So that's really what it is all about. So now, uh, I said we're going to do the seven prophetic feasts, and what's the first thing on there? The Sabbath. But wait, is that really one of the Lord's feasts? It really is. It's not considered one of the seven prophetic, but let's read Leviticus. Now we're going to start going down. I'm going to, I'm going to hand out all four of the, of the scripture verses. So we're going to go Leviticus. You're okay to read, Kathy? Her name I know. Genesis, 22, uh, Genesis 2, 2 and 3. Exodus 20, verse 8. Good to read, Pastor. He's got a thumb up. Isaiah 56, 1 through 7. Sure, give the pastor the big piece. All right, so let's, uh, although not normally considered one of the Lord's feasts, it's actually given as a feast of Levitic in Leviticus. So let's read that and find out what it says there. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which, are you, which you are to pro proclaim as official days for holy assembly you have six days each week for your ordinary work but the seventh day is a sabbath day of complete rest an official day for holy assembly it is the lord's sabbath day and it must be observed wherever you live thank you very much so he says right off the top and leviticus i'm going to tell you now we're going to be bouncing in and out of leviticus 23 it is the description of the feasts of the lord so if you have a paper Bible, put your thumb in it, because we'll be going back to it a lot. If you have a history or you can put something in your in the electronic. So it says, first it introduces, these are the feasts of the Lord. And the first thing he says is Shabbat, because that 
two is what it's all about. The rest in the Lord. So now, you know, I, I, I got cornered a little bit last week. And here's what I'm going to tell you about Shabbat. I'm speaking as a Messianic rabbi. I'm teaching as a Messianic rabbi. But your pastor, he, he sets the rules here. Okay? So that's, so that's where we're going. Okay, so let's go through the rest of these scriptures now that we have. We know that Shabbat is one of the feasts. Exodus 20, 8 through 10. Oh, I'm sorry, Genesis 2, 2, 3. Throw me Thank off, you. Genesis 2, 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Thank you. We're going to roll right into Isaiah 56, 1 through 7. Isaiah or Exodus? Exodus. Oh, man, I'm trying to keep up. <laughs> Exodus 20, 8 through 10. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. It, in it you shall do no work, your sons, your, you or your sons or your daughters, your male or your female servants, or your cattle, or your sojourn who stays with you. So here are the Ten Commandments. Uh, obviously, uh, Shabbat is part of it. And Isaiah 56, 1 through 7. This is what the Lord says. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good. For I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. Blessed are all those who are careful to do this. Blessed are those who honor my Sabbath days of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. <clears throat> Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me part of his people. Don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him, and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem, and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices, because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. Thank you. So the two things I want to point out, first of all, in Exodus, it says it's the seventh day. In Israel, even to this day, they don't name the days like we do here on the Gregorian calendar, which is a great thing, because what are most of these days named after? False gods, exactly. So Israel follows the biblical example of just the numbering the days, the first day, the second day, the third. And Shabbat is the seventh day. It's not a day in the middle. It's not the day you get to pick. He picked the day. That's all I got to say about that. Okay, Isaiah 56. I love this verse because these, these, this group of verses because what's it say? Everybody who follows my, ship, my Sabbath, the foreigner, the eunuch, 
everybody who follows my Sabbath, and you can extrapolate that to everybody who follows my word, gains salvation, gains his favor. And that's why, as a people, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, as a people of Adonai, as a people of the Lord, you want to follow what he's laid out. Simple, very simple. So that's a great scripture for me. All right, let's go. Um, questions about Sabbath? Good, because you know it's just the troublemaking kind of thing. <laughs> All right. Um, Passover. We just went through it, but we got a couple of scriptures we're going to do. So let me just, I'm just going to go one, two, three, four. One, two. You good? No? Okay. Two, three, four. Okay. So Passover, this is the first of the seven prophetic feasts, and it speaks of Israel's deliverance from bondage. Again, as I say, it says Israel because this is the way I, this is what I teach to who I teach, but it's really to everybody, everybody who accepts his teaching. Uh, of the seven prophetic feasts, it's the one of the four that's already been fulfilled in the physical. It was the sacrifice of the Passover lamb in the spiritual. It's the sacrifice of Yeshua, who was also called the Passover lamb. Now, just in case you haven't noticed uh, on the paper, there's a heading and for each one of the feasts, the name, whether it's fulfilled or not. In the, on the left is the month and day in the Hebrew calendar. And on the right is the Gregorian calendar. And you'll almost always see where it's a range because the Hebrew calendar just doesn't line up with the Gregorian calendar. The Hebrew calendar is much more moon-driven, 28 days. Or, and what they do is in order to make up for it, they have every, uh, I think it's every four years, is they have, uh, as we have a leap day to make up time, they have a leap month, a whole month that they make up at once. So you'll see ranges there as opposed to specific days, and that's why it never falls on the same day. Uh, well, it, it, year after year, it doesn't fall on the same day. So let's start with the scriptures. We'll run through the scriptures, and then we'll discuss them. Uh, the first one, Leviticus 23, just verse 5. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. That's it. We're keeping it real short, and we'll, go, we'll figure out why in a moment. Okay, exists 12.1, uh, 12.2. Okay, 12.2 says, from now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. And okay. then down to 24 says, remember these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. Then your children will ask, what does the ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. When Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshipped. So the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded through Moses and Aaron. Thank you. So it's a permanent law. We find that out, okay? And it makes us want to bow down to, to worship. 
Luke 2. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. And Luke 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. So we see in in Luke, early on, he celebrated it as a child. Later on, he still celebrated it. Yeshua, Jesus, never gave it up. He always kept it. And why did he always keep it? Because back in Exodus, we were told it was a permanent law. It was something that was supposed to be done all the time. So we we talked a little bit about the Passover last week, a little bit. That's what we talked about the whole time. Um, And we saw within the whole Passover story, really the story of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. So if we can see that then, and then we see that Yeshua, Jesus, maintains the Passover, in our minds we've got to say, oh, this is something we should be doing as well. That's, that's our mindset. And it's becoming your mindset as well, blessedly. And I'm so glad to hear that. All right? This is, this, is the way we're go- this is the way we're doing it. We're, going, we're looking at it. We're seeing where it was in the old covenant, where it's in the new, and then seeing them come together. These two, this one so far seems pretty obvious, right? He did it. The Lord says to do it. He did it. Why shouldn't we do it as well? Amen? All right. Comments about that one? Passover? So what struck you guys about Passover? Did you, did you actually get to see the story of Jesus in it? Did you see a sacrifice through it? And isn't that what we're to go out and tell people about, this, about the Passover, about, the, about Jesus, and we see that they really are one in the same story, and that's what I'm trying to to bring out to our Jewish brethren as well. All right. Um, unleavened bread. Uh, uh, where are we? I'm skip. Okay. Okay, so you have the first one. What do we need? We need uh, three of them. Number two, number three. All right. So unleavened bread. It happens in March or April. We notice, if we go back to Passover, it really starts the very next day from Passover. And that is because most of the time, people lump the two together. You know, we always hear Passover is eight days long. We don't eat leavened bread. We eat matzah, that bread of affliction. We eat it for eight days. The reality is there are two holidays lumped together in observation. It's the Passover, and then it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's really the second of four prophetic feasts that were fulfilled, and it speaks of the Exodus. So let's read some scripture about that. Leviticus 23, 6 to 8, please. 
The Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins on the 15th day of that month. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day you must come together for a special service. Do not do any regular work on that day. On each of the seven days bring a food offering to the Lord. On the seventh day come together for a special service. Do not do any regular work on that day. Thank you. And Exodus 12:31. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and test the rest of the Israelites with, or take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you said, and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought we will all die. The Israelites took their bread and dough before the yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards and their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. Thank you. And 1 Corinthians. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Thank you. So... Let me open up. I want to try to get a little more conversation going. Why is 1 Corinthians lining up with Exodus? Where do we see, I mean, why do we see unleavened bread being fulfilled here? Well, we see that Jesus is named as the... uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me go back a little bit. First of all, we see in um, Exodus that Pharaoh just about kicks out the Israelites from Egypt. Go, get out of here. And the, and the Israelites were able to basically plunder Egypt. Do you ever realize where did everything come from? That they were, so that they were able to build the, the tabernacle while they were in the desert. Everything they got was from the Egyptians. They were slaves. They had nothing coming out if it wasn't for the Egyptians giving them everything. That being said, they, also, they may not have gotten everything from them. They may have found traders along the way. They were going along trade routes. So they may have got, they may have been able to trade for some things. So maybe not all everything came out of there, because where did the, you know, the skins come from and all that? Well, we we assume they came from traders as well, maybe not from the Egyptians. But the things they traded with came from the Egyptians. Everything they needed came as they were coming out of Egypt. Everything we need comes as we come out of our sin 
into Messiah Jesus. So we see a lining up there that things that we, that, that we didn't have but were given as we left Egypt, that symbol of sin, everything we need we receive when we come into Messiah Jesus. As we leave our sins, he provides for us. Of course, we know that uh, leaven is um, recognized as a type for sin. So, uh, 1 Corinthians tells us, leave the leaven behind. Even a little bit of leaven will cause a whole lump to rise. Even a little bit of sin will cause uh, a whole lot of problems in our life. That is why we need the blood. We can't do it all by ourselves. We have to have, we have to depend upon him. The best man in the world is unable to rid himself of sin. And I believe we all know that. All right. Okay, that's unleavened bread. Comments, uh, anything? No? Okay. At the same time that we're celebrating the unleavened bread for seven days, we start our first fruits. We start counting our days of what's called days of awe. 40, 49 days of introspection, getting ourselves ready. And this is the third of our um, fulfilled feasts. Safarat HaOmar, because it starts the counting of the Omer up to Shavuot. For the 49 days between first fruits and Shavuot, the congregation prays daily with the same prayer schedule, same prayer topic schedule. First fruits celebrates the barley gathering in biblical times and now celebrates Messiah Yeshua's resurrection. So let's see it back in Leviticus and then let's see it in 1 Corinthians. Thank you very much. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I am going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. Thank you. And 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs in Christ will be given new life. But there is another order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Thank you. So we have the first harvest in the physical, in the agricultural, and that would have been the, the, um, the barley. And then we have the harvest that we know, who, what do we call Jesus? We call him, right, the first who is risen, the first fruits. He, and, and we also see that there's an order. I, I, this just reinforces the whole idea that God is a God of order. God has a plan, and there's a step, and every step goes in order. He doesn't play it like a xylophone, bing, 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 bing. It's an order. It, it just keeps going in the order. 
That is one of the things that should give us great comfort, knowing where he's going so that we can follow him. Do you ever follow someone without knowing where they're going? And if you, you know, you want to be real close to them and they make a turn and you miss the turn? I've done that uh, trying to, as a kid, trying to race someone home, not knowing where their home was. They made a turn, but I was going too fast to make that turn with them. That's not Jesus. That's not the Lord. He does not go too fast that we can't keep up with him. And he does not let us, doesn't let us know where he's going. He, he's, he, he provides the roadmap so that we can keep up with him. That's his great love, that we can stay with him. All right. Comments about that? All right. Yes. So during these 49 days of awe, what we would do in our congregation is, and you can follow this along on the, I'm not doing it on Facebook this year. Last year I did, but there were other congregations that are. And every day, first of all, for a whole week, there would be a topic. And then each day, would break down a subtopic under that. So maybe we pray for um, uh, the, uh, the Jewish messianic congregations in Israel, that they would be able to have, uh, reach out and, and bring salvation to Israel. So the first day would be for their finances. The second day would be for their outreach, and so on and so forth. It, it prepares us for what's coming up, for the for Shavuot, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. So what we're doing between first fruits and the, fest and the Feast of Weeks is it's really just getting ourselves lined up, getting ourselves so that when we're following Jesus, we are following him. You know, how much do we see? I mean, I can think of examples where uh, the world thinks they're following them, but really is kind of going off over here and over there. And it's a perfect time of the year to think about that because I got to tell you, when I think of what I call Resurrection Day, when I think of Easter, and hey, I don't know what you guys do over here, but, you know, if you guys are hiding eggs under your chairs and handing out chocolate bunnies, and I love my chocolate, but if this is Easter... You're following, you know, you're trying to follow Jesus, but you're all the way over here and you're all the way over there. Well, during these days of awe, what are we trying to do? We're trying to narrow our focus. We're trying to, you know, this is what we do all year, but during, especially during this time of the year, now we're really bringing it home. Now we really want to be right behind them. Now we're just checking our spirit to make sure we're there. Amen? Thank you for the question.
So yeah, because that's what uh, that's what Shavuot is. So you kind of so let let me put that out to you. What did this? What did the disciples do between the time that uh, Yeshua was taken up and and before the Spirit was given to them? What did they? What what was it that they do? What was it that they did do? I should say. Anyone? Excuse me. They stayed, they stayed inside, they stayed together, they stayed praying together, they p- stayed praying in unity together. It wasn't just that they were over here and over here and over here and over here, and this one was praying about this, and this one was praying about this, and this one was praying about this. They prayed in unity together, and that's part of what gives, gave them access, I believe, to the Ruach HaKadosh. Now, that's part of the job of the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit as well, to bring us in unity together so that we are praying on the same topic, so we are praying together. I mean, how many times have we prayed, and, oh, I was just about to pray that. That's more than coincidence. That's unity in spirit, and that's what the Lord loves to see is that unity that's what the Ruach works towards, unity together, right? Amen. Thank you. And that brings us right into with that, that time that we're working to get together, the time that we're praying together, that time that we're working to align ourselves up with Yeshua, with Jesus, the Festival of Weeks. So we have um, really just um, two... Actually, I'm going to throw a third one in there. So where are we up to? Who's our next reader? We're pointing over here, all the way over there. Okay, so you're going to do Leviticus 23, 15. You're going to do Acts. Okay to read? Okay, you got the Acts 2, 1 and 2. And then we're going to go over here. Dell, are you a reader tonight? You Okay, that's no problem. No? What's that? You'll supply her the need. Okay, so you're going to flip over to Exodus 19, 5 and 6. It's not on the paper, but Exodus 19, 5 and 6. All right, so uh, after the 49 days of the counting of the Yomer is complete, comes Shavuot, the last of the four fulfilled prophetic feasts, known as the time that God gave us the Torah or the law. So this is the time that Moses went up onto the mount and received the Ten Commandments. It's also when the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, was poured out onto his people. To our Christian brothers and sisters, it'd be more widely known as Pentecost. All right? So Leviticus 23, uh, 15 through 21, we'll hear uh, the Lord's instructions there. Yes, please. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks, count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. 
from wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of eeth, for the finest flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with their grain offering and drink offerings, a food offering and aroma pleasing to the Lord, and an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The sac- then sacrifice one male goat for sin offering and two lambs, each a year old, for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering, together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On the same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. Okay, thank you. Is that it? I don't have it in front of me. I don't remember. Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. All right, Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of the Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to the rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Thank you. And Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Thank you. So, it's the, it's, it's the um, Shavuot, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, the giving of the Ten Commandments in the Old Covenant, and then it's the giving of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant. It's the giving of direction in the Old Covenant. It's the giving the ability to follow the directions fully in the New Covenant. It's the fire and lightning and the sound of the shofar in the Old Covenant. It's the tongues of fire and the sound of the wind and and it's sounding like a shofar blast to them there as well. So what we have is not a coincidence of these things lining up. We have the Lord's way of showing us Here's where I was prophetic and telling you what to expect. Here's where it happened. And this of the seven feasts are the last time that that happens. One thing I wanted to to show you also 
is if in Leviticus it says to take the two loaves of bread, who do you think the two loaves of bread represent? Hmm? Mm, not quite, but yeah, I can see that a little. Yeah. Two loaves of bread, two groups of people, Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. Take your Jew and your Gentile. Put them together. Wave them to the Lord. They are my people. They are my people. It's that coming together. So we see that in, in Scripture. It's not a mistake. It's not someone reaching out and just trying to grasp at things to make things go together. It's the Lord bringing it all together. It's the Lord showing us that there are Jew and there's Gentile. And a Jew will never become a Gentile. And a Gentile will never become a Jew. Right? If, someone, if someone's born a Gentile and they start following all the feasts and they wear their yarmulke, they wear their kippah, and they wear their tallit and their tisi, the, the, the knots that hang down to remind us of all the laws, and they follow every law they could, they're still Gentile. They're following the Jewish lifestyle, but they're still Gentile. If a Jewish person comes and he accepts Jesus as their Messiah, and he starts eating ham sandwiches, hey, but... <laughs> He doesn't lose his salvation over it, and he doesn't become a Gentile. He's still Jewish. I'm still Jewish because that's his plan. Each one of the groups of people remain each group of people, but they're together. This man and this woman are together here. They're together in their marriage but they're still a man and a woman. As long as they're together, they don't magically become uh, them. They're them, but they're a him and a her. They're together, they start thinking alike, but they're still individuals. They're still together, but I can guarantee he's never gonna have the same job she does. He's never gonna have the child. <laughs> he says he'd be rich. <laughs> He's never going to be able to have the child. She's never going to have, you know, like it or not, men have different muscles, can do different things. She's never going to do that. She'll never pitch for the New York Mets. He may not either, but I don't know. Being different doesn't mean being separate. So we see that over and over again in Scripture. That being different does not mean always being separate. Different jobs, but not separate in the Lord. And, that, and we see that uh, in Paul's writings over and over again. All right? Comments in regards to that? All right, so that was Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks.
coming up in about, I've lost count already, about 48 days, 47 days, somewhere in there. And in our congregation, what we, what we do is we have a micnic. It's a combination of a picnic and a mikvah. A mikvah would be your immersion. So you go through a baptism. See, baptisms are not Christian. I hate to tell you. Baptisms actually are very Jewish. Uh, people would go through them all the time. Women, after every monthly cycle, would have to go through a, a baptism before being allowed back into the synagogue. Um, men, uh, actually both men and women, before getting married, would both go through a ritual bath, a, mik uh, a mikvah, an immersion. It, it's very common. You see the priests having to wash before going into the, uh, the tabernacle. Very common. So there's that. All right. Now we move into, those were our four um, feasts that were already fulfilled. So we had Passover, we had unleavened bread, first fruits, and the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot. So what do we have? We have Yeshua, Jesus, who died for us, was buried and raised again. And that's where we are. Everything else from here on, <clears throat> excuse me. Everything else from here on are things that we've seen in the Old Covenant but are still to happen in the spiritual. Why do we believe they're going to happen? More than half have already happened. I have pretty good trust that he's going to do the rest of it as well. It's sort of like if I ask someone, if I ask pastor to come over because I have a, a, a bag of something that's too heavy for me to lift, and I've asked him before, and he's come over three and four times, and each time I ask him, he is faithful to be there. And every time I ask him, he just picks that thing up like nothing's there, which I can't do. Now it happens again. I can have full confidence that if I ask him, he's going to come again. And if I ask him, he's going to be able to do it again. Well, this is the same thing with the feasts. We see, we, we see that it's been told he was going to do it. He did it. We see that we were going to get a, a, a Messiah. We got him. We see that the Messiah was going to die for us. He did. We see that he was going to be risen again. He was. So based on that, we can have full confidence that these next three are also going to be fulfilled. So let's take a look at the first one, uh, Rosh Hashanah. The Feast of Trumpets. And very good, thank you. So we're back into Leviticus 23, 23 to 25. 
Are we to read it tonight? Okay, so you have Isaiah 27, 12, and 13. And are you guys sharing? No. Okay. Yes? Are you sharing scripture? Yes? I'm going to come back to you then because I don't want to wait till you to find it again. So we're going to come over here. You reading tonight? Okay, thank you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. All right. So let's read our little blurb first about the Feast of Trumpets. Known at the beginning of the spiritual new year, it's also known as Yom Teruah because of the sounding of the shofar or the trumpet during services. This is the first of the prophetic feasts that has not been fulfilled as of yet. It will be completed when all of Israel is regathered by Yeshua, HaMashiach, during the final days. The ten days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that's the next one to come up, are known as the Days of Awe. During these days, God's people are to do an introspective search of themselves and pray to prepare for the day the Book of Life is opened on Yom Kippur. So sort of like the days after first fruits, the counting of the Omer. Did I, just, did I say those were the days of awe? I'm sorry. Those are the days of counting of the Omer. I do that occasionally. I flip things in my mouth. Uh, those are the days of the, uh, the first were the counting of the Omer. These are the days of awe where we, again, only even more so examine where we are. Because now, the books are about to be revealed. The books are about to be opened, to be looked at, to see if your name is in it, and then closed again. So let's read Leviticus 23, 23 to 25 to see our instructions. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blast. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. Thank you. So there's the instruction on what to do uh, uh, in the Old Covenant. Now Isaiah 27, 12, and 13 has a little something to say to us. Yet the time will come when the Lord will gather them together like hand-picked grain. One by one he will gather them from the Euphrates River in the east of the brook of Egypt in the west. In that day, the great trumpet will sound. Many who are dying in exile in Assyria and Egypt will return to Jerusalem to worship the Lord on his holy mountain. Thank you. And we're going to go back over here. Amen. Thank you. So we see instruction in Leviticus on the Feast of Trumpets. We see in Isaiah a reinstatement, really, of what's going to happen. Because in Israel's mind, they're they've, they've received this instruction from Moses, and they see it as, you know, something they should be doing, but not necessarily as a prophetic instruction of what's going to happen. So this is where Isaiah steps in. He now says, hey, guys, 
This wasn't just for the time that you're, that you're wandering around in the desert. This isn't just for the time after you take up your, your, your land. This is now for all time because this is what's going to happen through our Messiah. And then in 1 Thessalonians, it's basically a hallelujah. You know, we've been gathered as a people now, but wait, it gets better. Because when Messiah comes back again, we will all be raised. We will all be gathered with him. He was our first fruit. And now we'll be raised with him. That's a great promise. Isn't that a great promise? That is truly a great promise. But in order to be raised up with him, there's something that we should do. And that's, this, that, that's what we need to um, depend upon him for our atonement. And that's what we're going to get into in Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is considered the holiest of days on the Jewish calendar because it's the one day the Jewish people feel that they get their name inscribed into the book of life. It's the one day where if they fail to be in the book, they have to wait a whole year again to get in. But the good news is that our Lord, Yeshua, Jesus, allows us by his grace to always be cleansed, to always be under him in order to get into, uh, into his presence forever. So let's, uh, let's hand out some scripture. We're going to go back to back here now. And Leviticus 20, 23, 26 to 32. Yeah, I forgot about the microphone bouncing back and forth. Sorry, guys. And then we're going to go all the way over. Reading today. Okay. So you're going to have Romans 3, 21 through 26. And Romans 10, 1 through 4. All right. Then the Lord said to Moses, Be careful to celebrate the Day of Atonement on the tenth day of that same month, nine days after the Festival of Trumpets. You must observe it as an official day for holy assembly, a day to deny yourselves and present special gifts to the Lord. Do not work during that entire day because it is the Day of Atonement when offerings of purification are made for you, making you right with the Lord your God. All who do not deny themselves that day will be cut off from God's people. And I will destroy anyone among you who does any work on that day. You must not do any work at all. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. This will be a Sabbath day of complete rest for you, and on that day you must deny yourselves. This day of rest will begin at sundown on the ninth day of the month and extend until sundown on the tenth day. Thank you. How many times did you hear the words deny yourself in that? Right? I think he said, I think there were three times. So, so what do we consider to be denying yourself in, Ju in Judaism at least? 
fast. That would be a fast. This is the only time in Scripture that uh, it's the only feast at least. You know, it's kind of funny. It's a feast where you don't eat. It's a feast that you don't eat. In fact, what we would, uh, what we, what we'd like to do uh, as Messianic Jews is when we feast, when we fast for Yom Kippur, we feast on the Word. Because what kind of, what kind of fast does the Lord desire? It's not just one of being hungry; it's the one of turning to Him. So, that's. That's interesting that he gives it to us three times in just a couple of verses. What do they say? If he says it once, it's important. If he says it twice, it's very important. If he says it multiple times, boy, you better do it. And this is why it's so important to to our Jewish brethren. All right, Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God without the law is being manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom hath set forth a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for, his, for remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Thank you. And before we get to Romans 10, so here we have, we hear faith. We have our sins justified. We have um, the way of salvation, really, what it comes down to. So in the Old Covenant, the Jewish people thought, think it's by denying yourself it's by doing the good works it's by doing the charity and on this one day on this one day it's by denying yourself now as messianic jews we don't uh, fast we don't fast for salvation but we will fast to, for the salvation of our brethren so there's a different fa kind of fast that's going on in Messianic Judaism. But the, the, the thing that I like in that verse is it says, by faith we are justified. By faith we are justified. It's always been by faith. It's always been, even in, in Leviticus, where, uh, in Leviticus 17, where it says it's by the blood. I've given you the blood of the animal for, for atonement. It's not the actual blood. It's the faith of the one who gives you the blood that brings salvation. And it's always been. The blood is not magical, as I said last week. Even Yeshua, Jesus, it's by faith of his blood. It's by faith in him that we get our atonement not necessarily, because you can bathe yourself in blood all you want. But if you don't have the faith in whose it comes from, that's the difference. That's the important part. Now, here's another important point that's coming up. Romans 10, 1 through 4. 
Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. How many times have we heard, well, we don't need to follow the old covenant because Christ is the end of the law. So what, is, what does that word end really mean, though? That's really a big question. Because that word end in the Greek is talos. And if you look it up, talos doesn't necessarily mean it stops it. It means it fulfills it. And just because something's fulfilled doesn't mean we stop honoring it. We stop following it. That's not what it means. So many of our Gentile brothers today, brothers and sisters, want to say, he finished it, that's it, it's over. We don't need to know anything about the fasts and the feasts. We don't need to know anything about the Torah and the laws. We don't need, but they'll pick and choose the Ten Commandments that they like. All of a sudden, the Old Covenant becomes a Chinese menu. Who remembers going to the Chinese restaurant? Take one from column A and two from column B. All of a sudden, that's what the Old Covenant is. It's a Chinese menu that you don't have to follow everything. You just take a little of this and a little of that. I like this one. I don't like that one. Paul tells us Messiah is the end being the goal, not the finish, but our goal, right? So if I was to say my end is to finish school, it doesn't mean my life ends right there. That means my goal was to finish school. My end, it's just the, the, the focus of what we're looking for. That's what we're doing. By interpreting here that, the, that Messiah is the end, you've cut off the whole end of the book. You've cut off the end of the book because that just basically means, you know, the things in Revelation don't matter anymore. Messiah is already the end. That's it. We don't have to worry anymore. But that's not what the, the word says. We need to read the word in the way that they wrote it, not the way we want to interpret it. So the Day of Atonement, Messiah's blood cleanses us. And then we get to the last feast, the Feast of Tabernacle, or the Feast of Booths. Um, We've got two pieces of scripture. Who's got the microphone? Oh, did we get, who's got it? Oh, it's over there. Okay, so you two are going to get the last two. Leviticus 23, 33 through 44, and Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Two good-sized chunk ones. So just before you read that, 
In biblical times, it was a time to remember our wandering in 40 years. So if you remember, while the Israelites were wandering around, they were wandering around and then putting up temporary booths. And then the Lord would say, it's time to move. His fire, his pillar of fire would move on. They'd follow him, then they'd set up a booth, never knowing how long they were going to be in one place at a time. Could have been overnight. Could have been for years. You know what? Uh, for 40 years, they wandered. There were some places they were there for a good long time. There were some places they were just kind of, let's rest and then move on. So what they lived in were booths. It later also celebrates the latter harvest, the final of the seven feasts. This is to be fulfilled when Yeshua tabernacles or resides with us in the new Jerusalem at the end times. Right? Remember at the end of the um, Passover Seder, we said next year in Jerusalem. And for us as Messianic believers, next year in the new Jerusalem. Well, here it is being fulfilled. The prophecy that we weren't fulfilled, that he'll come back and then we'll be living with him, before him. So let's read Leviticus 23, uh, three, verses 33 through 44. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is sacred assembly, do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly, and present a food offering to the Lord. It is closing special assembly, do no regular work. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord. The burnt offerings, the grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings required each day. These offerings are in addition to those of for the Lord of the Sabbath and addition to your gifts, whatever you vowed, and all the free will offerings you have given to the Lord. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day of the day of the Sabbath rest, and the eighth day is also the day of the Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from the luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice. Before the Lord of, for, for the Lord of God for seven days, celebrate this as a festival to the Lord of the seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance of the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in the ten temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in su such shelters. So you descendants will know that I have the Israelites and live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed festivals of the Lord. Thank you. So just before you read uh, Revelation, so just a couple of things there. So we basically read through all of Leviticus 23 because that's what Leviticus 23 is. It's an explanation of all the feast days of the Lord. Anytime you have a question about a feast day, you know, it's like Abbott and Costello. Where's base? Who's on first? What, what feast do we do? Leviticus 23. Just keep going to Leviticus 23. 
It's where we almost always start every feast day because it's the instruction on every feast day. Um, did you notice it said to, well, first of all, it says to live in your booths. And do you ever notice that uh, on this, uh, maybe you haven't, but on a, a festival of, um, of tabernacles or of booths, it's a Jewish custom and it's because it's commanded there to live in booths. So what do we do? We, we, we uh, build our booth outside and some people, they still sleep in them. We normally take a couple of meals at, in them, but it's because it's commanded. That's what we're told to do. And did you notice it says, take palm branches and rejoice because the Lord is coming to live with you. What does that remind us of? Palm Sunday, the, the Lord's triumphal entrance into Jerusalem because he was coming to be with them. So all these things, not coincidences, right? They're all prophetic. And the more you look for the prophetic, the more you see the prophetic. So let's read uh, Revelation 21, 1 through 8. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, for God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. He will be no more, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the from the spring of the water of life, those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts and idolaters and, and all liars, they will be con consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Amen. Amen. So what do we have? We see a couple of different things here. I'm just trying to, I wanted to get onto that page. The new Jerusalem comes down. Could you, I can't even imagine what it'll be like if we're still here when the new Jerusalem comes down and we're called to be with him. Everything's new. And we'll be living with him. He'll be our sun. He'll be the thing that shines out. We will be adorned like the bride because he's the groom. It's the fulfillment of the promise that's coming. It's what we look forward to. It's the final uh, um, uh, feast 
prophetic feast. It's that promise. I mean, all the other promises are nice, right? But this is, this is the fulfillment. This is the ultimate. This is the one we look forward to. We do the others to get to this. Why? Because this is our end. This is our goal. Does that mean it all ends right there? It's really our just beginnings. It's the beginning of our new life with him. It's not really the end. It's the wonderful promise that he's made to us. All of the feasts, all seven of them, are the wonderful promises that he makes to us. And we believe that the prophetic feasts that are still to come will happen because we know that the ones that have already came, we can see they were prophetically told to us, it's going to happen. Therefore, these that are prophetically told to us will happen. And there's a definitive storyline that goes along with it, right? The definitive storyline, the story of Jesus and us with him. The story that we were given a Messiah who died for us, was buried, resurrected, now sits at the right hand of the Father. That, those are the first four that's already happened. And then we can have full confidence that just like he rose, we will rise also. And then we will be washed clean. And then we will tabernacle with him, the final three. I went back and forth on whether to say this or not, but who can break out for me um, real quick, First Peter uh, two. What did it? Where was it? Two, 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 two. two. Where's my note? First Peter. I'm oh, sorry. First Peter one three through five. Someone read that one out for. Me. Go on. You got a nice loud voice too. So a couple of times I've done this to a congregation and, you know, who believes that they have salvation right now? Hands go up. Yeah, but what does it say here? We have the promise of salvation that will happen when we're in the presence of Adonai at the end time. This is why even earlier today, I had a conversation with someone about once saved, always saved. It doesn't say that we have our salvation now because he'll never take it away from us, but we can turn from him and lose it that way. It's never, he'll never, ever take it, but you can walk away from it. 
It says here, he holds it for us there. It's that promise that we can trust because every one of his other promises have been kept. And so will the, so will the promise of his salvation to us. And that is what the feasts are. Each and every one of them, a promise that he makes us. A promise that he will keep. A promise of salvation for eternity. A promise that if we run the good race and don't give up, we will tabernacle with him. It's the last of the feasts to come, but it's the but he saved the best for last. Amen? Amen. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Did y'all enjoy that? Some great teaching. We just thank you for your time and just bringing the knowledge of all this stuff to this house. Can we just thank him again? Thank you so much, Rabbi. Well, let's pray. And um, obviously, you know, no one's rushed out. If y'all want to take some time to... Uh, ask him any questions, you know, keep him till midnight, and uh, uh, fellowship, you know, but, 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 you know, it's going to be, so this is a great house, isn't it? Amen. I love you guys. Lord, we just thank you so much for all this knowledge. We thank you that um, we have a, um, a God who never fails us. You never forsake us. You have fulfilled your every promise. And the, and, the, and, and the prophecies that are coming, we know that we, we'll just go ahead and say they are already fulfilled because you never break a promise. We look forward to the day when we see you face to face. We look forward to a restoration of your true church, your true ecclesia across the globe. Lord, continue to bring light, knowledge into ignorant places, not so that we can be boastful, but so that we can shine brighter for you, Lord. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray, everybody said, amen. amen.